Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It has been some time. I've missed this. I've missed you. Life just got busy. It just, we ended up, you know, talk about it in this episode, but the past eight, nine months, I shot a film with some uh, previous guests on the show, uh, that being The Reel is Back, Chris Bales, Jake Merva. We shot a little short film that took about eight, nine months to complete from start to finish start to edit it's still in the edit right now or hopefully gonna be able to get that out in february of 2020 for you guys but yeah just it just it just took up a lot more time than i thought and that's that sounds like a negative but the project was all such a positive it was such a good experience the message the film everything we created the people we connected with such amazing people but you know on top of that with some personal things some behind the scenes business as far as this show the brand and things, you know, I just, I mean, I'll just get right into it, what this episode is about. It was, I was just burnt out. I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was at 100%. I didn't feel like, I didn't feel comfortable recording and releasing a show where I wasn't at my best. Best. You know, as we talk about in the show, you're taking an hour, hour and a half out of your day to listen to this. And my fear was that I was wasting your time. And that I mean, that's that's a scary feeling to have as a content creator of I'm putting something out and I'm fearful of it wasting your time. You know, as I say, I want this show to be a good representation of who I am and the work I put into something I'm very, very, very proud of, but I didn't I didn't feel proud of my work. I didn't feel proud of what I was doing because I was burnt out. You know, I literally creatively, I just didn't have it. You know, even now recording this, I'm not at 100% with it. You know, I'm not back to that person I was. And I think I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, it's important to change and grow as who you are through these ups and downs of life. You know, so I'm still working my way back and it's going to be a much different me. It's going to be a much different approach to this show because I do. I want to provide, you know, that hour, hour and a half that is impactful in your life is, you know, entertaining to you. It's not a waste of your time because, you know, that's that's really important when some some of the conversations we had outside of the mic uh, with Min and Andy were talking about just the podcasting world and, you know, how difficult it is when it may not seem as difficult. But yeah, I think the important thing is to know, you know, I was just I was just burnt out, man. I just didn't have it. I just, you know, needed needed to take some time to get back to feeling comfortable. Um, you know, we have three, four episodes already recorded prior to the release of this episode. And in each of those episodes, you know, it's just me getting better and better and better. And it's just, you know, it's gonna be a journey, but you know, I think together we can we can get there. And I think the biggest message I wanna send out is it's it's okay to sometimes just need, you know, we talk about it at the end of this episode it's okay to sometimes just needing to take time off and work on yourself and tr- you know treat yourself really just get back to being emotionally and physically and spiritually stable and healthy and feeling good about yourself and feeling good about the content you know i have the ability to release episodes but just it's just tough to work on something that you're proud of when you're not proud of yourself if that 
if that makes sense. But no, I feel like I'm in a much better space. You know, I think I've taken the time off. I've dealt with and worked on the things that I needed to work on. Still working on those things. You know, it's not a one and done type scenario. But yeah, feel feel better about it. Working on some big things. You know, very exciting things for Water Cooler Talk coming in 2020. Some very exciting network news potentially coming on. Some very exciting partnership news. Very exciting branding news. Um, so I'm very excited for what 2020 has. You know the guests we're going to be able to bring on even the guests that we've already recorded those episodes in the bank you know those are really good episodes i'm excited to start you know editing those and get those out through through the next few months and i'm excited for our final episode of 2019 i think that will be a really 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 important and big episode in our catalog that i don't think a lot of you will be expecting so excited excited about that one but anyways to today's episode of water cooler talk we are joined by min and andy from quality the Under Pressure podcast. I've been a guest on their show back in May, which you can listen to for a few moments at the end of this episode. Uh, but their show is built around the idea that a conversation is a beautiful thing. So their vibes and energies definitely worked well across shows. And yeah, we had we had a beautiful conversation. The conversation in this episode was built around a man who tried to rob a bank to pay for his wedding, a millennial CEO who has handed his job, believing millennials are too entitled, little call in the kettle blood kettle calling the calling the kettle black i think it is yep that is what it is still little corrections in the intro first time for everything and then the big conversation we focus on being burnout and the culture created around this terminology i think it's i think it's important to you know as the show is based and i think it's important to talk about something that you know is happening in the world it's happened to me so yeah i think i think we had a really good conversation when it comes to burnout and that culture so without further ado ladies and gentlemen this is water cooler talk episode 27 titled burnout culture enjoy this is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world and while many of these stories may seem fake they're absolutely not because they're real I just realized, do you guys have like a preferred font that you like to read in? No, I don't. I really like writing in Proxima Nova, but reading in Ariel. I don't know if that's... It's crazy when you like talk to people that are so specific, like sans and not sans. All right, you guys ready? Mm -hmm. (coughs) Mm-hmm. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Water Cooler Talk Podcast. Today, we are joined by Min and Andy from Quality Under Pressure Podcast. Min, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having us. Andy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. In this show, we jump right into the love story here. Right into it. Uh, This is from ABC News, United States. Man robs bank day before wedding, gets caught by fiance on social media. Heath Edward Bumpus of Crockett, Texas, is now in custody and has been charged with abrogated robbery after allegedly informing a bank teller at Citizen State Bank that he had a weapon and was in need of money, which was given to Heath. After receiving news of the robbery, Sheriff Woody Wallace of Trinity County posted pictures of the suspect on the Trinity County Sheriff's Facebook page in hopes the public would be able to provide tips that would lead to the capture of the suspect. And Sheriff's Woody idea worked, as it has in all three, all four Toy Story movies. His fiance, unnamed in the article, saw the Facebook post and recognized her soon-to-be husband as the suspect, a husband she was planning to marry the next day. She then convinced Heath to turn himself in as his picture was all on Facebook. Heath followed her advice and turned himself into the Houston County Courthouse and confessed to his crimes. In a video posted by Sheriff Woody to his Facebook page, Woody explained the reasoning behind the robbery, stating, Upon the interview, he uh, basically stated that, uh, he was getting married tomorrow, so he didn't have enough money for a wedding ring that he wanted to buy, and he needed to pay for the wedding venue. So apparently that's what the money was for, for us to pay for him to get married tomorrow. 
Uh, just to let the listeners know, an average price of a wedding is $30,000, and a wedding ring is between $1,000 to $5,000. Here's, here's a good fact for anyone who's wanting to rob a bank. First off, obviously don't rob a bank. Second off, do not do it with a gun. Because that like brings it up tenfold. Like oh, I think yeah. in Texas, uh, you could face anywhere from five to ninety-nine years in prison where this <laughs> crime committed for because it's uh, considered a felony in a state like Illinois. It's I think four to fifteen years for robbing a bank. So if you're gonna rob a bank, don't do it in Texas and don't do it with a gun because then you add on that aggravated kind of situation there. But I want to ask you guys, what would you have done in his situation pre and post robbery? His situation pre-robbery, I think I would have, I don't know who he talked to. Like the story doesn't talk about like what, I mean, it talks about that he had a wedding to pay for, a wedding ring to pay for. I would like to know like what his thought process was, um, who he talked to. Did he consult his fiance before this act? As far as like the price of the wedding and the venue. Right. Stuff like that. And just like, he's like, I am feeling a lot of pressure. I'm going to rob this bank so I can pay for the wedding, pay for your wedding ring. And she might be like, you know what? Like, we have to pay for the venue, obviously. Maybe we can borrow some money from family. Hold on the ring or something like that, you know? And he's like, cool. I don't need to rob a bank anymore. Post, like, the story talks about how his fiance, like, caught on social media. um, And it was like, she, like, called the dude up and was like, that's you, right? And he's like, yeah. She's like, well, we got to do something. We got to correct this issue. <laughs> Turn yourself in. And I think that's, you know, what are you going to do? That's the right way to go about it. What, are you going to run from the law? So, yeah, you're going to be an outlaw yeah, the rest of your life? Exactly. So I think post, he did it right. Pre-crime, I wish maybe he would have consulted his family a little bit more. Andy, what about you? Yeah, I mean... I- he could buy a cheap, like a ten dollar ring at Walmart or something, right? Like to get by and just be like, look, I get it. We maybe got a little too over our head here in uh, in funds, yep. so let's uh, let's just buy this cheap ring and I'll replace it someday, right? Like that could have easily happened instead of going the route where he thinks he's gonna get it with a crime, right? Like and so, steal a bank and <clears throat> yeah, I mean, and, and turning yourself in is the right choice, but <laughs> I don't know because what if his wife's like, I demand a ring, you know? That's true. A we don't know rock. the wife's situation, here yeah, or her perspective. So yeah. then he could have been feeling the pressure internally, like my wife expects a big rock for the wedding i gotta go rob a bank yeah but like typically when you propose to someone you have a ring right like it's already well, there isn't are you any of you married yeah okay so did you have like an engagement ring that you did on the proposal yeah. and then a wedding ring? yeah because like you get a you have your engagement ring which is the actual ring and then you have a, a wedding band okay which you do on the day of for the for the woman and like the man it's a or you know whatever that's a wedding band like just you get the one I had but, to carry uh, it throughout the day. Yeah, it was yeah. heavy. <laughs> it yeah. was in my pocket, chest rock. pocket. Yeah, yeah. It just weighing me down. I feel like there is this like social construct that like weddings need to be huge. Right. And it definitely, I feel like, puts a lot of stress on people, especially like the male in the situation, to provide this like dream wedding for, you know, their significant other, whether that be male, female, anything in between. Yeah, just like the overall, just the general weight of a wedding is just, it's unbelievable. Like you said, 30,000. I just had a co worker who just got married and she said it was like 50,000. Yeah, that's her, her wedding was over 50,000. And it's like, and today when you have like a f- less than a 50% chance of keeping your marriage going, is kinda, it worth? Is, yeah, is it worth it, right? Like, <laughs> well, that's like, yeah, 50,000. That's like what average salary is around that air, yeah, like pr- range. Much, like, yeah. that's pretty much a year's salary for one day. Yeah. yeah. And then you got to think, like, do you have a mortgage? Are you paying off a car? Do you have student loans? Are you going to have children one of these days? Like, how do you even begin to, like, 
chip away at that. You don't, and it just stacks up with everything else you've got, all your debt, unless you've got a, a family with enough money to pay for it. Andy, you don't have to you don't have to share any details, yeah. but did you overpay for your wedding, or did like did you feel comfortable yeah, with yeah. the amount you paid? No, I think I think ours was good because I think when we got married, we've been married for seven and a half years, so we hit it really well before like the big wedding bust or boom went. Now everything skyrocketed. Like our photographer now charges five times as much as she did when we got married. Like our DJ probably would have been three times as much. The venue would probably have been two times as much. Um, so we got married at a great time where we didn't break the bank on it. Y'all did a good job. It was like yeah. it was like a big wedding. The scale was still big, right? But it wasn't like extravagant to no. the point where you're like, wait, why is there like gold? Pl- on the wall or anything yeah. like that. And that's not me. Like, that's not us. Like, no. for me, I don't want, like, to be carried out in a horse-drawn carriage and, you know. I would have like, done it. Right. I mean, it would have been kind of cool, <laughs> but I, I don't cool, need yeah. that. I don't want that. So, yeah, I think a lot of the weddings are just unbelievable. Men, are you ever wanting to be married? <laughs> I wouldn't mind. I'm very far away. I'm just not into, I think I, I think you need to meet someone and, like, get to know them <laughs> and do that whole process. No. Nah. Nah. Uh, nah. <laughs> just, just order someone. Exactly. Yeah. So, I'm not, I'm not close. Close. I don't put it. I feel like society puts it on this pedestal. Like you should get married. You should have children. All of this. I'm not of that mindset. I'm not against the idea. If I get married and my partner wants something like that, or if I meet someone and my partner wants something like that, I'd be down. But if, even if my partner was like, you know, I'm not into the whole like ring thing and marriage itself. Yes, it gives you sort of legal benefits and different changes that way. But I'm, I'm an atheist. And if my partner is the same way, like I, we don't need the religious backing to sort of confirm our love and passion for each other. Let's not do that. And I'll be fine with that. As far as like the rig- religious aspect, is that like, is it for like approval from God? I, I'm, I'm I don't not know. religious. Yeah, either, I, don't, so. I don't understand either because I don't fall underneath any category for like a religion so I, we got married in a like a lutheran church was a little bit more laid back than a you know a catholic church i don't really know why people feel like we need to have a blessing from you know whatever it is what it is tradition but yeah it didn't really i could have got married by a, my best friend right he could have been up there he could have been my pastor that's for all i care right well, when you guys read this story like what was the takeaway for you guys i originally saw it i was like well you know this will go into our future question but i saw it as like what would you do for love, like in a super yeah. stupid romantic way. And I was like, no, this is stupid that yeah. like society puts these pressures on to have these expensive weddings. And then we feel like, you know, we live in a society where the only way we can afford a wedding like this, or at least in Heath's case, is to rob a bank. And, you know, the FBI don't come after me. This is all for research. But I did like a bunch of obviously information <laughs> and research on like how to rob a bank and like, you know, <laughs> how much money is in like a teller's account. And it's like, it's not a lot of money. Like most tellers have under $5,000. Yeah. So it's like, if you're trying to cover, you know, an average 30,000 wedding, I mean, you have to go big on yeah. the amount you rob. Yeah. And now this guy is going to be in jail. Heath, he's going to be on jail for, I have to say anywhere, like I would probably say around with a gun, around 20 to like 30 years. Yeah. You know, no one's ever tried, attempted a robbery at a federal reserve bank. Cause I did a, I did a presentation there once and even like going in to do the presentation, I got padded down. I went through a scanner, all of that. And the guy that walked me in was like, you know, in the history of the U S federal reserve bank, no one has ever attempted to rob cause the stakes are so high. Yeah. People are like, it's just not even worth it until today. Until oh, today. Get, get after it y'all. <laughs> we're not, we're not putting any of this episode out because we're going to plan to rob a bank. The federal reserve. But uh, I love your response to like my question. Cause that's the exact I feel like some people might read it and be like, like, oh, what a what a dumbass, you know, like that's how there would be sort of their response yeah. to, about this guy. But that was like my exact response to this story. I don't blame him 
Because society tells you, like, go to college, take out debt, get married, take out debt, buy a home, take out debt. You have to do these things. You have these life milestones that you have to reach if you want to consider yourself worthy. So you have all these sort of social and internal pressures. More and more these days, there are le- there's less and less support to accomplish these life milestones. And so like when I see this story, like I'm sure like he's thinking, I just want a normal life. You know, I want to provide the best wedding I can for my fiance. But how am I ever going to do this with the the way the economy and society is structured these days. So I feel really bad for the guy. Well, this is the thing. Like, if this situation was made into a movie, people would love this guy. They would think, oh, that's so cool. That's so romantic. But now that's like a guy named Heath Bumpkiss in Ugh. Texas. People are like, this guy's a joke. And yeah. Sher- Sheriff Woody, come on. Yeah. Where's Buzz Lightyear? <laughs> yeah. All right, so, Andy, you're married. Men, any significant other? No. I don't want to put you on blast. No, That you're maybe dating someone, and they're like, where are we right now? (laughs) (laughs) He's not robbing no banks, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, But what crime would need to be committed by your significant other for you to want to step away from that relationship? You want to ask first? (laughs) Yeah, you're you're deeply in love. You're married, so it's a lot more higher stakes for you. (laughs) God, I don't know. I mean, I thought about this. I wouldn't bounce for like robbery or something like that. You seen Gown Baby? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, the the Ben Affleck. One? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so no, I I don't know. Probably pr- uh, murder. Yeah, probably murder would probably do it for me. Would it have to be premeditated murder or just any type of murder? No, I, something happens like somebody kills my kid or something like that. I would I would probably be in jail for murder. So yeah, I wouldn't blame her for that. But what about I, you, man? See, I, that's it's the, hard to answer. I don't, I don't know. That's answer. what I was gonna say too. I'm glad you elaborated at the end because to me this is sort of an impossible theoretical question because it is so down to the context. And so again, like like Dawson was saying, I thought I imagine that scenario too. If somebody comes into my home and somebody is going to kill my child and my wife, to me, it would look like self-defense. But let's say through the court process, they deem it as murder. She, now she's a murderer. Do, what, do I leave her for that? I don't think so. No. I, like, I understand that. And if she, you know, even if my partner goes out and robs a store, let's say no gun this time and robs a store, you know, I, I, it really depends on the context and the situation and her thought process. I would have to talk to my significant other to really determine what, like, you're crazy. Why would you do that to the point where if, if, if there was no logic behind it, it would be easier for me to be like, I, well, how do you expect me to trust you or like do it? But there's so much other history intertwined in that. Yeah. Like one mistake to me, doesn't break a relationship. Like magnitude matters. Like the quantity of mistakes, but the magnitude of mistakes also matter. In theory, it's really hard to answer. But yes, like if if you're a, a Russian spy, let's say I ordered a wife, <laughs> let's say I ordered that wife, and it turns out she's a Russian spy. She didn't kill anybody, you know. Like in theory, she didn't kill anybody. But how am I ever supposed to trust you ever yeah, again? That's a good point. And I like how you said, you know, like one accident doesn't define right. it because I've been asking a lot of people this question, and it's all come down to really if it's an accident. Because like my thing, like the first thing I thought was like vehicular manslaughter. You're right. drunk driving and you kill someone, and then they started saying, you know. I mean, what if that's just one accident? I mean, obviously, so stupid to drive drunk. Right, right. But it, at the end of the day, it's something you choose to do, but you're not choosing to kill someone. That's the accident part of it. Mm-hmm. So I could see some forgiveness in that. It would take a long time. Or the, if, like, if it's a bunch of little things yes. over and over and over again, and we talked about it, and you acknowledge, like, this is something I want to correct. Like, let me know something that I'm doing that annoys you. We can compromise on this. 
And it just seems like the relationship has deteriorated. Even small things, like it's easy to point like one big thing, but small things to me could break a relationship where I have to walk away from it too. Yeah, if it was like continuous behavior, mm-hmm. but if it's like one thing, I, we can talk through it. Uh, like someone mentioned that dining and dashing would be their thing that they would walk away. And I get that <laughs> wow. because, you know, you're deciding to do something that hurts someone else. Yeah. You know it hurts someone else. And it benefits you. So you're making this clear, conscious decision that I'm going to hurt someone else so I can benefit myself. And that's a behavior that you just don't do once on accident. You know, I get like maybe if you shoplift on accident, like maybe you're eating chips or something, you walk out with the chips. That's totally fine. But like if you're in a restaurant, you sit down, you go to that restaurant, you know you're not going to pay for it. You're consciously making that decision. And that's a behavior. So if that's where I was at. It's like if it's something where it's like continuous behavior, you're continuously doing this thing. That's where I cross the line. And I think a big thing you pointed out is intention. Like if yeah. it's like, you know, like you didn't you were, you drove home buzzed and you hit somebody. You didn't mean to do that. You know, like you said, it's that's a stupid idea. Yeah. We all know that at this point. But it wasn't still an accident. But if like you like you said, it's premeditated murder It's planned out. It's no there's no link to self-defense. If it's intentional, that carries a lot more weight. See, and like even that, like even if I if I were driving in my neighborhood and I hit somebody walking their dog, I'm not going to jail for that. It was an accident, and the insurance companies and the police they look at that as an accident. So like if you look at there's a an episode of a show I was watching, they talked about it. Like if you vehicular manslaughter, even if you're drunk, you're probably not going to jail. So it's like it's, not, it's yeah, it's really not what worth. What show was that? Adam ruins everything. It's oh. really not worth like covering up. Like look at Ferris Bueller, he killed a family in 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 Europe, and he, that's true. <laughs> and he's back. He's have no problem. He's here in the United States, and they still put him on commercials and stuff. People forget. Plaxico Burris, same or not, uh, what's his name? Dante Solworth. Oh yeah, wide receiver. He got a contract. Drunk so and like, exactly. Caitlyn Jenner, yeah, someone, and then was Woman of the Year next year. Exactly. Jeez, so I mean, yeah. it's like vehicular manslaughter like that. Unless it's like you're intentionally driving somebody mm-hmm. down, you're probably you're not going to jail for it. Talking yeah. Charlottesville. <laughs> yeah, that no, that is that. You're going to jail for that. Yeah. But if I'm just driving and I hit somebody, yeah, you're not going to jail. And also like the thing I was like cross his line like any form of abuse to animals like there was just Mm. this kid from my high school that got you know sent to jail for animal abuse because he was jealous of his girlfriend's dog that's a whole other story but piece of of crap but like something like that where it's like continuously like you're abusing something or abusing someone or something yeah i was like that's obviously goes into my point on like if it's a behavior that's continuous that's where it crosses the line but if it's an accident if it's a one-time thing you didn't consciously mean to do it yeah you can talk through that i love your point about i i I don't want to go down the rabbit hole but animals need more protection legally um i want to ask you what do you guys think about the the fiance the wife like in this story i thought she was a champ yeah i thought she i read a lot of the comments and they were like she was just looking for a way out man you gotta ride <laughs> oh, or die no. and i was just like what no she's being like a responsible adult she's yeah. holding her husband heath to be responsible to a crime and it's like his face is all over i mean i don't know if you guys saw the picture in the yep. article but you could clearly see who this guy was yeah and there was no way he was gonna, you know, skip town on this. No, he so was she was not being a like a responsible person, yeah. to the detriment of her future, which is a baller move. That's what I. Th- I was just like, wow, great move. Well, I mean, I think like again, like you said, the picture is so. Wear a mask, dude. Do <laughs> like think, think before he you do with, this. He went with the uh, whole Marvel. I'm just gonna wear a baseball cap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Disguise. And then like, what his escape is like? Well, I'm gonna take my shirt off, throw it out the window. Uh-huh. Hair Street, you can have my gun. I'm out of here. It was like he, he was. He was planning to get caught. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, to close this story, it sounds like Sheriff Woody is uh, 
hoping to pull the fullest extent of the law on this guy. I think he'll probably get anywhere from 20 to 30 years. But yeah, that's that's just not a way you want to live your life is no. trying to pay for a wedding and then now you're in jail for a good, good portion of your life. I would like to welcome to the show Min and Andy from Quality Under Pressure Podcast, a podcast whose mission is to remind the world that engaging in a conversation is still a beautiful thing. You guys celebrated the one-year anniversary of the podcast just recently. Uh, Min, what are you looking forward to most in year two? You already talked about it on your one-year anniversary, yeah. Andy, but I want to hear from you, Min. I want to try to do more shows and get creative and I think be a little more intentional. I I mean, I leave it pretty open-ended um, because I want I don't want to restrict... I mean, the point is to bring on a guest and have them share a story. Anytime I invite a guest um, and... If they hesitate, it's always, what am I going to talk about? And to me, everyone has a life experience. Everyone has a story they could share. And so if, for me, it would be a disservice if I sort of narrowed it down. So, But I want to find a way where that process is easier. And so we can get into a topic, hit it hard, hit it with motion and bring the most out of it. Um, so I kind of want to do more shows and like, bring the focus in a little bit. I kind of want to do more with where it's just the host too. I want to bring Dean and Dean and Dawson don't say a lot during this show. So I want to find a way to bring them into the show a little bit more. But like I told you before we started recording too, um, I thought we were going to do it for three months, six months. And we we're going to be like, well, that was really cool. Like, great job, everyone. But it's been so fun. So we can keep this format. I don't care if... A thousand, a million people, zero people listen. I just still kind of want to do it. Yeah, that's like one of the best parts about it is having that conversation and speaking to like finding something to talk about. Everyone has an opinion. Mm -hmm. Like no matter who you talk to, they have an opinion and you just need to find that place where they can be comfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, and just for the listeners, sorry to interrupt, yeah, uh, Andy Dawson, same person. That's, same that's guy. Right. Yeah, just want to make it clear. So stupid. <laughs> yeah, same idiot. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, too, like I didn't bring this up on our show, but I think we do our, our tagline as a conversation. Mm -hmm. I think we should also have like a debate as a beautiful thing. And you can Is get, it, like, though? It could, but it could be. I, if think, we, I think a productive debate. Yeah, if we moderated it, right? Like uh, atheist versus a Catholic or something like that. Just not necessarily that, but just like. Here's my point of view. What's your point? Like maybe like a middle ground type of piece. I don't know. Yeah, I used to host these um, sort of live dinners where like I would invite like eight people and we would be very intentional about inviting different viewpoints. And I would sort of give a sh like a five minute spiel about the history of the event um, and what we're looking to do. And I never introduced the word debate because to me, debate is you can either make a great point if you make a better point than the other person, you win the debate. Or you can go a different way and just drag that person's idea down. And as long as you drag it down further than he drags your idea down, you still win the debate. But that isn't productive. So like you said, you could have a productive debate, an honest debate. But to me, I, I avoided introducing that word. That's a good point because when you think about debate, you think yeah. about like debate team in high school right. and there was a winner and there was a loser so in a debate there needs to be a winner and a loser when really you know a debate should be about coming to some mutual understanding of a topic yeah i was sides. always like looking forward to those and i thought you know if i if somebody proves me wrong a stance that i have and totally blows it out of the water I have learned something that day and I leave that conversation a better person. And that's what I like about, you know, what we do on Water Cooler Talk is we bring up very taboo topics that people sometimes aren't uncom or are uncomfortable talking about, but they have an opinion on it. Mm -hmm. And, you, you know, build to this comfortable conversation and then you learn things about a different way of seeing how the world may work. And you're like, 
oh yeah, that's not my normal way of handling a topic, but I get it. I get where you're coming from. It's mm-hmm. changed my view a little mm-hmm. bit. Andy, from day one to day 365 plus, what has been like the one thing about the podcasting process that you feel is most crucial? Um, great question. Yeah, yeah, great question. Being prepared is great. Uh, <laughs> I do a lot of preparing before each one of our shows. And uh, no, I just having fun, right? Yeah. Like if you don't have fun, you're not going to. You're not going to want to do it. And even on the episodes that Dean and I don't chip in, I still usually have a pretty good time uh, just hanging out and listening and learning because I've said it before, like I'm not the smartest guy on the planet, but I, you know, I enjoy learning new pieces. I do a lot of consumption of media, so I listen and watch a lot of things. So I like to be a part of that. And there's times like I listen, it's kind of a downfall too because I listen to so many podcasts that I don't interact with. Like if I'm in my car or at work, like, you know, sitting at my desk and doing work, I'm listening to it. So I feel like I get a part of that. So then it's like, oh, I don't want to chip in because I'm listening to a podcast. Live. And I can't, and if I talk to my computer, no, they're not going to talk back. Yeah. So it's weird sitting in the room being a part of that. But yeah. I love your first point about being prepared. I think if anybody makes good radio or good podcasts, it feels, especially like in a setting like this where it's conversational, it's free flowing, not highly produced with like cutaways and things like that. It feels so natural. I think people think we just walk in here, turn the mics on, and start recording. I've had other people like request help to start a podcast and they're like, do you want to go in Friday and record? I'm like, what are you going to record? Like (laughs) you have given me no context. And I think people think it's so easy to do, but like you, I think you prepare a lot more than I do. I, I just hope like when I talk to the guests and prep them and tell them like, you have a story, I just need to bring it out of you that it actually does come out. We've had some flops. There's there's preparation that goes into it. Yeah, well, like what we talked about when I was on your guys' podcast, which will be at the end of this episode, and what I talk about a lot on my podcast is like a lot, people do not have time to consume media and fact correct this media. So if they choose like a source to get their news from or get content from, that source should be factual. And that's where I'm like, you know, if someone's going to listen to me for an hour, hour and a half talk about bank robberies, paying for weddings, yeah. I want to be factual in those stats I give them in that facts, you know, I provide because I want them to be safe that they can trust me. Because especially in like the news industry, there's so much, I mean, I hope, hate to uh, quote uh, Trump fake here, news. Uh, fake, news. fake news, but there's so much of this clickbaity, you yeah. know, this doesn't match up with what it should match up with that. People need to trust a source to really connect with that source. And that's why I feel like I spend so much time researching because I want to feel comfortable talking about a topic, even if we don't go there. Yeah. And I I don't know is a perfectly sufficient answer. And if you say something based off of misinformation, but you you took it in and internalized it as truth and you regurgitated it and you said it out loud, but later learned that's incorrect appropriate response is to just apologize and course correct. I, I've said, I don't know a few times. I said, yeah. I don't know. You know, I don't know enough to give an opinion on that, but I'm gonna do some research and get back to you. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, in honor of quality under pressure podcast training one year old, I'm going to steal a segment from your guys' show. Here. Let's go. Uh, we're going to knock out some rapid fire questions. Uh-oh. Are you guys ready? I'm Love so them. ready. I've never done this before. <laughs> yes, you have. Have I? Yeah. We had an episode where we got questioned in the beginning. You answer, oh, right. you answer a few of them that you're right. interested in. All right, I got 10 questions here for you guys. Would you rather be able to fly or be invisible? Oh, man. I would rather be invisible. Fly. How long does it take you to get ready in the morning? 40 minutes. 25 minutes. Lucky. I got to wash my hair. I got to do makeup. (laughs) How old were you when you received your worst haircut? Oh, God. I received a pretty bad haircut like about six months ago. I look like uh, one of the dudes from Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) 
So it was pretty bad. But otherwise, I don't know how old I was. Like maybe five. I got the good old uh, Asian bowl cut. Um, so that happened a long time ago. Andy, what? Yeah, you? I mean, I've had like three hairstyles in my entire life. I had the bowl cut until I was probably in seventh grade. You had a bowl cut? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, I kind of look like Harry Potter. So I had that until like seventh grade. Then I was like, nope, I can't do that. Then I had the same haircut from basically like eighth grade until. A year ago, and then I shaved my head. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, so now I can't have a bad haircut because I just shave it. My high school haircut was so bad. I don't know if you guys ever watched Zoe 101, but no. there was a character named Chase, and he had the haircut where it was like around his hat mm. and it flopped up like that. Oh, that was my wow. hairstyle in high school, and then luckily Breaking Bad came out, and <laughs> you know I look a lot like Aaron Paul. So I was able to see, like, oh, yeah, I can be pretty bald and still look good about it. Yeah, so then nice. completely changed the hairstyles. Uh, if you guys could trade lives with anyone for one day, who would it be? Oh, my God. You go first. No, you go first. I, I've been going first. Uh, if I could trade with anyone for one day. God, it's a tough one. I don't know. Uh, I would be LeBron James. Ooh, right? Even in the recent yeah, controversy. <laughs> even right now? <laughs> That's fine. I would still be I was going to say a sports guy, too, but I, mean, I was going to go with like a I was going to say Carl Sagan, but he's dead. I'll say Joe Rogan then because he lives like a pretty badass life. Nice. Yeah. What color is your toothbrush? I have two and I switch between them to hopefully conserve them a little bit longer. Um, <laughs> but one is blue and one is blue green. Like a manual toothbrush? Mm-hmm. It's, it's 2019. Yeah, you why know, don't you just buy more? Or why don't I you do. just get an electric toothbrush that cleans your teeth better? I have a water pick. Okay, uh, mine's white because it's a Sonicare toothbrush. What one thing annoys you the most? Whew. Uh, I, I, I'm not a big fan of repeating myself. So, like, if you don't pay attention and I got to keep kind of asking requests and keep doing it over again, that, that, that drives me crazy. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. I think, like, when people don't do what they're required to do, like, you know, like if you have trash in sort of just like a general public area or like a shared space, it is on you to get rid of that trash because by default, if you don't throw it away, that is you saying, I expect someone else to clean this because this is a shared space. So when people aren't responsible for their own duties, that is annoying. I know I get super frustrated when I'm having a conversation with a person and they make a, like just a stupid point. And I'm I'm giving you all this information. I'm not I'm not even trying to come at you as like from an attacking perspective. No, everything you said <laughs> is incorrect. And again, I don't mean that in a condescending way. Like sometimes people are just incorrect. That has happened to me where I said something, people are like, well, that's just that's just intrinsically wrong. I'm like, what? What? Tell me more. And then I'm just like, oh, like what you said is makes sense. I expect the other people to have that same response where if you say something incorrect and I give you fact after fact after fact and you still try to defend that <laughs> position and leave defending that position, I'm like, what just happened here? Yeah. That's why I love getting underneath your skin. I do it so well because <laughs> that's even your entire style, your entire life. And I've done that. We need to talk about this. Yep. All right, what, on one thing do you guys own that you wish you didn't? I wish I didn't need a smartphone. Andy? I'm so stupid. Uh, one thing that I own that I wish I didn't. Like, I'm embarrassed about or... It could be anything. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like all my shit, but I I probably have... Sorry, I don't know if I'm supposed to swear or not. No, you're um, a bad boy. I know, I know, sorry. I'm just a potty mouth. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I wish I didn't have so much stuff because I do get a little bit of a, like a hoarder and I will hang on to things. Like, I'm going through a cleaning out space for the second kid to come and I've got... You like clock. stuff. Yeah, I do like yeah. stuff. I, I have a lot of stupid like collectibles that I wish I didn't have so many of. And I'm not like that. And so I try to like, I see something and I might need it. 
And but I, I do the the analyses, and I'm like, do I really? Does this need bring this? you joy? What joy? Min Kondo. It's Marie, that, Marie Kondo. Yeah. Oh. Where you have to like pick something up, and you're like, if it brings you joy, you keep it. If it doesn't, you throw it away. See, that's my problem because I tie emotional things to a lot of little stupid pieces. Whether it's like, oh, I got this book at this game where I was with my buddies, and like I'll remember that. I have those memories, so I hang on to that way too much of that stuff. Yeah. Even when I'm at the store, and people are like. Oh, let's get this. I'm like, it's $10. Like, don't just get it. Like, that just, I'm like, why would you just get it? I know you're going to throw it away in like two weeks. All right. On a scale of one to 10, how cool do you guys think you are? 10 being high. Oh, God. Just in general, like average over all context? <laughs> 12. <laughs> nice, dude. Yeah, I'm pretty damn cool. I think I'm a six. Okay. What's the first thing you notice about the opposite sex? Either eyes or legs. What kind of like vibe they put out? So like if they think they're full of themselves, right? Like, oh, we didn't mean physically. If they think, if they think they're twelves on a cool scale, yeah, nice. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, I mean, if I can have a conversation with somebody, it's I'm pretty cool with it. It doesn't matter. If we meant everything, then I think whether they smile, if they have emotional intelligence, that's a huge thing to me. Ooh, that's a good. Point. I walk by people in the hallway and I say hi, and they'll just walk by. They'll look down. They'll like they'll put up an invisible wall. I'm like. How broken are you inside? I remember when I went to an out-of-state college in Colorado, and, like, you're so used to Minnesota, people being so friendly, and then, like, everyone's walking with their head down. Yeah. It's just like, all right. It's weird. Uh, And then finally, since you guys do have a podcast, what product would you refuse to promote? Guns. The NRA. If the NRA came at us, I'd be like, "Mm -mm." They were like, here's a million dollars. A million dollars? Yeah, I'd be like, (laughs) go buy your guns. Uh, There's very few things that I would turn down. If someone was really, truly going to do, I mean, that's not true. I would have to use it. I think any, if something I didn't actually truthfully believe in or didn't use, I wouldn't want my name on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's hard to narrow it down, but I'm I'm open-minded that way. And so um, it, does this product have a purpose? Does this service have a purpose? I think I could say yes to like probably 70% of stuff out there. But I don't know, man. The NRA and guns just pretty much bugs me. Well, this is a little behind the scenes podcasting. Uh, I was offered a promote to do like a product for an ED medicine. I won't name it, but it's been pretty popular here. But I was just like, this doesn't fit my audience. Like my audience is not in your demographic. So it just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, thank you for thinking of me. (laughs) You should have took it. Because I I mean, I know it's not might might not be your main demographic. But I think, you know, it, it serves, it obviously serves some people. It's that's a huge a good industry. Yeah, so it's point. like if somebody that listens to you says, oh, like my dad's beginning to look for something, <laughs> be an awkward you conversation. Talk to about both? It would be an awkward that's conversation. That's what this show is about, having those awkward yeah, yeah. conversations. Right. Yeah, yeah, I guess. You know, but now they <laughs> that's know. That's a good point. That's tell a very them to, good point. Tell them to reach out to us. We'll, we'll hit them up. I'll Dawson needs that. help. Yeah, yeah I'll right, take well, those Thank you guys for being a part of one of our favorite stolen segments. Listeners, if you're interested in hearing more about the Quality Under Pressure podcast, you can do so by following at QUP Podcast on Twitter or by going to Quality Under Pressure on Facebook or Instagram. All right, are you guys ready to jump into news story number two? Oh, yeah. yeah. 35-year-old CEO slams other millennials for entitlement despite being handed CEO job by his dad. This is from pedestrian.tv Australia. 35-year-old John Winning, yes, his last name is Winning, CEO of the Winning Group appliance company, has lashed out against the poor work ethic of millennials and warned of another huge correction in financial markets 
as social media influence consumers rack up debt and live beyond their means. Uh, just for everyone listening at home to know, millennials are those considered to be born between 1981 and 1996. John, who took over his family's multi-million dollar company from his dad after his grandfather founded over a century ago, states, People are expecting more than what they put in. Some of the people coming in for interviews, their expectations of what they should be paid versus how much they expect it to work is just crazy. You train them up and by the time they finish the two-month training, they're either looking for the next thing or asking for a promotion or more money. When I think of hustling, I think of rolling your sleeves up and working from early in the morning to late at night. They see hustling as a get-rich-quick scheme or another easy solution. John, a millennial himself, said the millennial workers are few, said good millennial workers are few and far between. With the overall appliance market dropping 7% in sales due to increasing price competition from Asian manufacturers, John goes against what other retailers have attributed to that downturn, being weak consumer confidence, low wage growth, and a struggling housing market, but instead blames the prevalence of social media and get-rich-quick schemes causing those to live beyond their means. John states, The rise of Instagram has been damaging to society as users strive to display the best 1% of their lives, leading them to live a lifestyle they can't afford. I think the world's living in the desperate of wanting more and that's getting people into a lot of trouble so based on his last quote there uh, does John have merit saying people tend to overspend and rack up debt trying to fit into a society where we want to display the best 1% of our lives I think this is where a lot of people have trouble when they get into sort of a tangly messy like dilemma this is where people have trouble pulling things apart um, and making sense of it because what he said there has some truth in there I've agree with that yes he, it has some truth in there but this is like the classic case of not acknowledging privilege not acknowledging the societal the economic the political the policy barriers that are that people have to rub up against that have to overcome and so it's it's difficult because you hear that and your initial reaction is yeah he's on point but you look at the full context and he has some truth, but he misses the point on a lot of it. And just like you guys are both in your 30s, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, do you guys consider yourself millennials or yet the like the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I embrace it. I guess. Right? I, like, I, don't, I, I don't eat I avocado toast. Born, yeah, yeah, I embrace I'm not it after like, 81, kind of. Yeah. 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 We we're both like, we're right eight, in the middle. 86, 87. So it's like... Yeah. We're prime millennials. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I guess I don't lump myself with that because I've, I've seen you know people that are 10 years younger than me that still fall in that bracket and it, it is way different but I don't know yeah I feel like there's two separations of millennials like before and after like the 20 2008 kind yeah. of financial disaster like yeah. the people who are adults or I mean you know adults right. quotation marks on that before that and those who are adults after that yeah and we were like right in the middle of it yeah. we were entering Pretty adulthood much. As that happened. Andy, what are your thoughts on the Instagram 1% comments? I mean, yeah, it's it's insane how, like, that is... I was, I was standing in line at Chipotle today, and a kid was, like, taking a picture of himself, <laughs> like, about to order. I'm like, you think anybody really cares ab about that? But I get it. Like, I don't know. We did stuff. We had our we had to keep our top six friends or whatever tight on MySpace back in the day. So I guess I can see it's, it's just changing. I don't... I personally don't care about my Instagram followers and, and all of that. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pressure to be successful and cool, but I don't I, I don't know. I, I, it's tough because it was different from when we were kids, I guess. Everyone po posts the best side of their yeah. life on social media. I wish that wasn't the case because to me, like having conversations with people via podcast or not, I like talking to some, I like talking to semi-broken people like they are the most interesting they are actually working at things and so like when i see 
people on Instagram like, oh, I'm in Greece, and you take these beautiful pictures. I mean, while you're on Greece, that's bliss. I'm sure it is. But like, when you come back to real life, like, let's talk about that too. So well, yeah. I, that's what I'm saying. He has he has a lot of truth. in Yeah, that. I definitely agree. He has like a lot of good points. I do believe like millennials tend to spend much more of their money on or this just age bracket tend to spend much more of their money on experiences over mm. material. I mean, obviously, there's some people like Andy who likes to buy his stuff. Yeah, uh, right. But I believe that there's this kind of disconnect to where millennials and we're all millennials. So we can say we here, but we tend to want to live a rich life full of experiences rather than a life full of materialistic objects. Like, you know, our parents might, their parents might as well. Getting a house isn't number one on our list. You know, we want to be financially stable if we have a family, Andy, in your case, or if just, you know, we want our careers to be financially stable. And we've realized that it's totally all right to treat ourselves. Obviously, you know, we need to do so in moderation so we don't go broke. But we also need to look out for ourselves like mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, all these things and take care of those things and treat ourselves because we deserve it. We work our asses off. Yeah, I would say, I mean, and I'll say too, like just from talking on our show, we've had a handful of like local musicians, right, who are not top 40 radio artists. They're not making Rihanna right? money. No, they're not making that, but they're doing what they love. And that to me is... That's a difference, right? Like they're like, look at Min and I, right? Like I kind of fell into a career and I stuck with it. Min kind of did a little bit opposite where he had more experience. He had, he wanted to further his education. He wanted to do more. I had the mindset of like, I've got to get my family going. I've got to get a house. I've got to get everything established. And I, I applaud some of the, the kids that I see that we talk to on our show that are like, I've got a passion in this and I'm going to go after it. I'm going to get it and I'll work. I'll play piano at a church to make money, right? Like, that's cool to me. Like, they're going to do what they want to do and have fun and a passion for it, but they're also going to make a living. I think that's I, that's admirable. Like, that, not yeah. everybody does that. I don't think, like, my dad would have gone out and had his passion. He gave up his passions when I was born. So yeah. uh, I can see that happen to a lot of people. Yeah, and we've talked about that, too. I mean, it's a perspective thing, like the grass is greener on the other side, where when I talk to Dawson, I've said to him plenty of times where I'm like, dude, you are so normal and so stable like you just did it like the way the textbook tells you to do it. Graduate from undergrad, uh, marry your college sweetheart, get buy a home, buy a better home, have a child, get a dog, do it all in order. Like you did it in order. Pretty even. much. Yeah, yeah. And so like to me, I'm like, dude, I'm that I'm so jealous because I'm over here still swimming and trying to figure it out and stay afloat. And like I fell into a thing and it's like, this is cool. Like, but could it be the future? And it wasn't. So I'm like, well, I got to go to grad school. I want to learn more, absorb, absorb more. And then I'm trying new things out right now. And I wish I had that stability. But I know if I was in that position, I would still be complaining. No, that's a very good point. I have a friend, a very good friend, very much in your situation. And he's going through the checklist. And like, I'm, yeah, I'm just jealous of him mm -hmm. sometimes because you have that stability. You have someone, you know, you have a partner that loves you and is in it, you know, for hopefully the rest of your life. But yeah, it's another thing. It's like, that just doesn't work for me. It works for some people and they love it. That's just not my path in life. Yeah. And, you know, but that doesn't mean I can't be jealous of your life. Right. Because it's like, sometimes like, you know, when you're trying to figure out, oh crap, I need to get a client today or I'm not going to be able to eat this week. That sucks ass. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I can, I mean, I get jealous too of like, I've 
got to skip out on this because I've got a wife and a kid at home. Like, I can't do some of my, I talked to my friends who were in the same boat, and it's like, yeah, we're going to go to the Vikings game every weekend. I would love to go to the Vikings game every weekend, or I'd love to go to would you, this, that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I'd love to, <laughs> but it's like, I have to prioritize my family over that. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and then the crux of the article is from that first quote I read by John, how he believes millennials expect much more than what they're worth. Do you guys agree or disagree with that sentiment? I disagree. And Anytime someone, anytime I'm having a conversation with someone and it's about like career trajectory and working hard and if anybody says anything about bootstraps or hustling (laughs) or grinding or rolling up your sleeves, I'm already preparing myself to be like, you, you probably don't get it. It's okay. Like, I'm glad that you have a good life, but you don't get it. No, I think that's, I think that's an amazing point because it's, you have this like capitalist society has proven that, you know, a company does not give a shit about you. At the right. Day. You are a replaceable cog in the machine. And yeah, of course, like if I'm going to get a job at a multi-million dollar company, I know I'm not worth much to them if I need to take time off. If I, you know, if I'm a woman and I have a baby, like my value in this company's eyes immediately starts going down with all these things. So it's like, of course, I'm going to ask for more, better benefits, more pay, you know, a promotion as soon as possible, because it's like, it's not that I want to feel entitled. It's because I want this company, however long I'm there to actually appreciate my worth. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's And I feel bad. I wish I, sometimes I wish I wasn't a millennial because it feels like I'm when I defend millennials, I'm defending myself. But I mean, I read articles that talk about millennials. There's there's a thing called lunch shaming now. And so where millennials like, hey, boss, like I'm going to go take lunch off campus. And the boss is like, no, you're not. He's like, why? It's my lunch. And so there's like lunch shaming or like vacation shaming. Hey, boss, I'm not going to check my email while I'm in Mexico. Well, why? You're going to have to reply to this client. It's my vacation. So it's like, are those things unreasonable to ask for? Is it unreasonable to ask for when the rest of the developed world has really good paternal leave policy to be like, hey, when I have a child, like the the literature on early childhood development is growing and becoming stronger. We know that is the most important part and time of your child's life. And so to be like, hey, My child is just born. I want to stay home and take care of my child. My wife and I will alternate or however your family is structured, we're going to alternate. It's not an unreasonable ask. It just feels like society hasn't caught up. So like when millennials are, I don't even think we're demanding it. We should demand for these, these new policies. And just because it hasn't caught up, people point at millennials and say, this is an entitled generation. And I just disagree with that. Yeah, we're like not in a situation where it's title. I think we just were the first generation. I feel like, you know, this has happened throughout life in the aspect of the entire life of earth and everything. Uh, but I feel like we're the first people who actually had a voice to it. And it's like, oh, it comes across as whining. But no, we're just the first people to have a voice and say, we want to be treated fairly. Yes. And since no one else has said anything before, you know, not in the aspect of everyone saying something, obviously, you know, you got like union jobs, you know, in the past. So people were saying something, but on this global stage, we have a voice and people are like, well, screw these guys. They're just whining brats, entitled brats. But really, we're the first people to go on a global stage and be like, hey, we want to be treated fairly. We are, we're asking for a macro level change. And that in itself since this is a story about privilege, for us to have the ability to ask for those macro level changes is a privilege because I don't think my dad was in a position where if he were to be treated unfairly at work and for him to stand up against 
the industry, the company to his direct manager. He didn't even he didn't have the ability to do that. He was thinking, I have to pay for a mortgage. I have to support my family. So if I take that risk and I lose my job, he's doing the cost benefit analysis of that. And he's not going to demand those things. So millennial generation Yes, we should ask for these things, but we shouldn't fail to acknowledge the support and the privilege that we have to even ask for these changes. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, you know, men, you don't have a wife, you don't have a family. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you have a family, but you don't, don't have friends, you don't have family, friends, I'm alone. you're, you're a loser. <laughs> but Andy, you do, you have all those things. So yeah. it's like you're less likely to be like, I want to be, I want this and this and this and this and this and ask for things at your job because you realize that I have people I need to take care of. Kind of. I mean, I just actually went through a career change where I was with the same company for 17 years and I felt like I was kind of just getting left in the dust where I, at one point is like, I'm doing, what am I doing? I'm just kind of spinning my wheels. I'm not moving forward. And I left and I went to a new company. I feel- How scary was it? It was pretty scary giving up something that I've done for a really long time. So taking a risk and and jumping out and changing companies and careers all the others, it's a pretty big change, but man, it feels good to be appreciated and wanted. And uh, yeah, so that, that's a, you know. Give and take. I also want to point out, this guy's name is Winning. <laughs> John Whatever. Winning. John Winning. Mr. Winning. I want to point out, too, like, there's, he is, so there's this, I think it's within the field of so, social psychology, it's called attribution error. Um, and that is, like, if we take golf, for example, if you go golfing and you hit a hole in one, attribution error is to over or undersell a situation. And so if you hit a hole in one, it's, well, how, how did you hit that hole in one? Well, I go to the driving range. I practice every weekend. If you miss the green, it's always, man, it is windy today. That's not on me. Winning is failing to understand attribution error here as well. Like he had a lot going for him. Like his, was it his grandfather that yeah, originally owned the company? 13 years ago. And so like, you know, like he had a lot going for him. And so he's not, he didn't, he, maybe he put in more work than the person next to him. Probably not. And so he's, again, failing to acknowledge his privilege and he's chalking things up to attribution error. I think that's a good point. And once you mentioned about even, you know, millennials having the privilege to speak up and feel comfortable speaking up, you spoke up, Andy, you, you know, obviously it was a scary thing, but you felt comfortable enough to do it. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, you know, I don't think our fathers and their fathers and their grandfathers had that same privilege to feel as comfortable speaking up. Mm -hmm. And the last thing I'll say too, is I'm I'm, like, for as far as millennials go, I'm not a fan of like the babying of everyone. Yeah, that's, Um, I definitely agree. Not everyone gets a first place trophy. No, you shouldn't get a participation. It's, it teaches us to be better as a society if we lose and we learn from our failures like that's the biggest thing like that's that's the thing i can't stand about the millennial piece is just like my favorite point is always pointing out that our parents were the ones who uh who did that right because yeah i have a kid i don't want to see her suck at something but hey you didn't do that great you also need to fail them yeah you gotta fail i failed plenty of times we've all failed let your kids fail and they learn from failure Mm mm-hmm uh, we do have an update to the story. John, as we could have guessed from our conversation we just had, uh, did receive some backlash to his comments. Uh, many commenters pointing out that the irony of John criticizing entitled young people when he himself was handed his CEO position. Uh, but John is a man of his words and backed up his comments saying his words were taken a little bit out of context and he didn't mean to call millennials entitled, but that he believed they were a byproduct of the world we live in and have false expectations of what they might be able to get. This is what he said. The reality is you've got to work your guts out and it takes blood, sweat, and tears before you can reap the rewards. You have to stick things out. If you haven't found success in a month or three months, maybe you just haven't done it for long enough. Uh, I want to ask you guys about success. What do you guys contribute to success? Because I like, like I talked, like you said, man, like 
the bootstraps it's, it's such bullshit it's like there's so many other ways to go about finding su- success yes that is a way to have success i'm always a big proponent of work smarter over working harder yeah. it's just like it just doesn't make sense to ethically like tear yourself down to try to get to this level that you could do a totally another way i think it's an american mythos the american dream where again bootstraps comes into that saying too where i don't understand why you have to sacrifice your blood your tears and your sweat to accomplish something like again you said work smarter not harder i don't mind working hard but I don't want to bleed in the process. That's just stupid. I, I definitely work smarter. And uh, yeah, I, I'm not a hard worker. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it's, okay, it's true. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a hard worker, right? I don't, I'm not busting my ass. I'm not putting in 12 hours a day of work. Uh, I, you're smart. You just be smart about it. Be accountable. Get your stuff done. Like, that's really what it takes. And if you can prove, have a proven track record of being, uh, being dependable, then that's gonna. The rest is gonna happen for you. No one should. No one should feel like they have to put in twelve hours of work a day. That's just. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You know. I, I came from a place where people I would work with, they'd work 60, 70 hours a week. That shouldn't be a thing. Why? I used to, and this will transition perfectly into our next story. I used to work like 60, 70 hours a week, and I was like, you know, this is what I have to do to succeed. And now looking back, I was like, I was being so stupid. Right. Nope. And I thought it was so cool because I was working all the time. Nope. I was just like, you're an idiot, Adam. I always want to, like, slap you across the face. I mean, I have friends that post on Facebook, like, going to my second job is going to be, like, my third 70-hour week in a row. And it's not that I look, like, down on them or anything. I'm like, you are working hard. You have a family. You are trying to provide. You are... I hate the word, but you are on that grind, you know? And so I have respect that you are willing to do that, but it shouldn't... It shouldn't be you celebrating that At you're what doing cost that. Yeah. Are you doing that? Yep. It should be you being pissed that say and rising up and saying the system is against me. I shouldn't have to work seventy hours. So stop glorifying it. Perfect. And that transitions perfectly into working seventy hours for multiple weeks. Burnout. This is from BuzzFeed News United States. How millennials became the burnout generation. In a New York Magazine interview published last fall, Tim, age 27, explained how he didn't have the opportunity to vote in the 2016 U.S. election because he missed the deadline to register because mailing stuff gave Tim anxiety. And he wouldn't vote in the 2018 U.S. midterms because filling out a form, mailing it, and going to a specific place to vote would be too hard for him to do. Explanations like Tim's are at the core of the millennial reputation. We're spoiled, entitled, lazy, and failures at what's come to be known as adulting, a word invented by millennials as a catch-all for the task of self-sufficient existence. But what if Tim's inability to complete simple tasks was bigger than just not being an adult? Aaron paralysis, the idea that we tend to avoid mundane tasks that won't make our jobs easier or drastically improve our lives, tend to cause a buildup of a high-effort, low-reward task that create a mindset of being spoiled, entitled, and lazy, and not feeling that you have the ability to be an adult. This paralysis that can be shared by many tends to be caused by the same affliction, burnout. Burnout is not something only seen in high-stress work environments. It is a temporary affliction and it is not something that can be cured by heading to a beach or taking a relaxing vacation. Our society has created an idea that we must be working all the time. From a very young age and in every aspect of our lives, millennials have been taught this philosophy. The question has become, how do you fix a condition that has been burned into your very being? Uh, So before we finish the rest of the article, what is your guys' initial stance on burnout? 
I think it's a thing for sure. Um, like you said, it's been ingrained, especially in the American mythos too. Like it's been ingrained that you should always be working. It's and that's a weird dichotomy to me too, because it's just like you should always be working, and then when we like, it's time to account for the work that you put in. Like we have weird accounting methods, like a stay-at-home mom. Well, I think we do. Like millennials are more val- putting more value on that, but back in the day, like. That's not work, you know? And so it's like, it's weird how we, what we consider work, what we don't consider work, and then having this notion that we should all be working all the time. Why? Andy, what about you? Yeah, no, it's definitely real. I was burnt out of my old job, right? Just from doing the same in, same day in, day out, the same thing and not getting anything back. Uh, so yeah, I was definitely burnt out at my old job. Yeah, it's it's for sure real, and it does. You, you do get that nice like if you go on a vacation, you get a nice little break, and you can you kind of come back down to being normal. But then it's just like if you're in just a, a bad place, it's gonna come right back. I read so, a thing that said like the the vacation glow for the average person lasts about four to seven days. Yeah. After, like, the vacation. So you go to Mexico, you come back, and people are like, man, you look recharged, you look good for about the next four days you do, and then you're kind of back into pre-vacation mode where, like, God, I can't wait for Friday. You kind of go back to that. And just, like, we've all had that feeling where we can't wait for Friday, so it's just like, I just need to do some Netflix for about six hours on Saturday. And We all know that feeling, so it's weird to me that when you look at someone else and they're like, I'm burnt out. Be like, no, you're not. You didn't put in enough time this weekend. Right. Why, how come you can say that about yourself, but when you see someone else doing that, it's just like you have a totally different reaction. Uh, that's good to know about the vacation thing. I'm going on vacation this week. So. Nice. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, Enjoy. yeah. Enjoy it while it lasts. But no, <laughs> it, it comes to like burnout. I'm burnt out right now. Yeah. Like I know it. I just spent eight months shooting a movie. I've been doing like the production on everything of it. And I like, I loved everything about the process, but just creatively, like I haven't done a podcast in two and a half, three months. And oh, sure. I love, like, this is the one thing I love, love, love doing. Like I want to do this the rest of my life and I love it, but I just didn't have the energy to put yeah. in a hundred percent of me into the show. Yeah. And it was like, like you talked about, it's like people think podcasting is so easy. You just walk in and start talking about some bullshit, but mm-hmm. it's not even if you're, you know, a podcast, you know, Andy, I know you like the podcast where the friends just get together and yeah. talk about stuff. There's still energy that needs oh, yeah. to go into that. Yeah. And if you're not at 100%, the audience knows you're not at 100%. And I was like, this is like this is the first podcast I've recorded in, you know, 3 months. And it's like I'm still like scared of being like am I doing is this me? Is this yeah. like me before I was burnt out? Like mm-hmm. are people going to be like this isn't this isn't the same guy. So I'm definitely a big proponent of burnt out cuz I've been experiencing it myself and it's one of those things that it's tough to like you notice it, you start noticing these things like, oh, why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? And then you just have to f- kind of like, you know, as the article talks about, just figure out, you know, you have to address it first mm-hmm. and then just figure out ways to move out of it. Like I'm done in the music industry because I was just like, this is not something I love. I don't enjoy it. I'm good at it, but it's not something I love. Now I work at a food truck. Nice. I freaking love it, man. Yeah. It's one of those things where I sign in, I sign out. That's all I ever have yeah. to think about that job. Yeah. It's just like one of those things where it's just so, so relaxing. But yeah, so as far as me on burnout, you know, I definitely, yeah, it's a huge part of my life. And it's one of those things where you're terrified when you're in it because you're yeah. like, am I ever going to get back to who I used to be? But also at the same time, when you were reading that story about Tim, he's like, I can't mail this. It yeah. gives me, <laughs> I, like, to me, I'm like, millennial. Exactly. Do like, something. That's because I was. I was thinking on my side, yeah, like that's just over the top. Like, come on, buddy. Yeah. Like you can you can send something in the mail. But I think that's where the, the millennial side of it will get the bad view because our jobs and our careers are all different. Like if you look at 50 years ago, there wasn't 
IT jobs. There wasn't tech jobs. There wasn't, it was all go to a factory. It was go this, it was like that. If you burned out and you go back to it, you're going right back to your line and you're back where you had to be. Or now it's like, there's so much automation and there's so much things that we don't have to like manually, there's not as much manual labor unless you're building roads or houses or whatever, but everything else, like I can take a break from my IT job and be good. You know, yep. our dads. I do, I do definitely agree. Yeah. Like I do think Tim was a little bit dramatic, but I can see how you can like stack up these tasks. Like, you know, oh, I, yeah. like every week I do like a to-do list yep, and like too. there's some things that are there every week because I just can't, I just like for some reason, like, you know, I have a cartoonist, Neil Coney, who does all the artwork for my podcast, such an amazing guy, but like each episode I have to like send in photos of you guys. And it's like, it took me forever to get your guys' photo done because I was, it's, it's such an easy thing. All I have to do is send them a photo of you guys to be like, Hey, this is my next guest. Let's figure it out. That's it. It took me like a month and a half <laughs> to kind of like do it. And I was like, why is this taking so long? Yeah. Uh, you have a bunch of little things you need yeah, to do. Yeah, it's like it wasn't like the biggest thing on my to-do list. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know what? I can do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow is another tomorrow. Yeah. And tomorrow That's why tomorrow, I love tomorrow. deadlines because they kick me in the ass. So like when Tim's like, oh, man, I couldn't mail it in. I missed the deadline. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you got to know. Uh-huh. Yeah, and if I feel like if it's something that obviously Tim, you know, I won't. I'll judge Tim here, but, you know, I don't think it's good to judge people. Right. But I think he's someone who probably doesn't really care about politics too much. Sure. So he's, it's not like something he's like, oh, politics don't affect me, so I don't need to be voting, when really politics do affect you, yep. and that gives you, like, a reason to vote. Shout out to Tim. <laughs> All right, moving on from the story. Financially, millennials lag far behind what their parents were at the same age. Millennials have far less save, far less equity, far less stability, and far, far more student debt. I think the average student debt is, let me see if I have the factor. I think it was about 30, around 30,000 or something in that range. 28,900, 28, I'll fact check that. Uh, on top of that, the effects of the 2008 financial crisis, the decline of the middle class and the rise of the 1%, and the steady decay of unions and stable full-time employment have created a shift in the market in which millennials need to optimize themselves to be the very best worker possible. For many millennials, rationalized debt became the only means to achieve the end goal of one, a good job that would two, be or sound cool, and three, allow them to follow their passion. The idea that if you can optimize yourself by working hard and always being available, you could be one of the few that the system would be winnable for. Things that should feel good, leisure, not working, going on vacation, feel bad because you feel guilty for not working. And things that should feel bad, working all the time, doing the 70 hours a week, feel good because you are doing what you think you should and need to do in order to succeed. Student debt, which tends to be the majority of millennial debt, is more than just payments that keep those from participating in American institutions such as home ownership and diamond purchasing, but a psychological toll of realizing the promise of it being worth it, worth the loans, worth the labor, and worth the hard work and self-optimization, that that was all a lie. So talking about debt, men, you have graduation, oh, yeah. grad school debt. Oh yeah. Do you guys think debt has a significant impact on the possibility of being burnt out? Oh, for sure, because then you you have this thing that you have to do. There's this, there's this entire cloud of burden on you. And so if I'm not working, if I'm not grinding, if I'm not hustling, then it's going to catch up to me. I, I mean, I know some people that just don't care. Here's my here's the mail that I got to, to pay this monthly bill. They just set it aside. I'm like, dude, you can't do that. But it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a super scary thing. Yeah, it, I mean, it is. And it's just... You know, it's tough because, like, my wife's a teacher and she's got her master's. The only way for her to make more money is to keep going back to school. So it's kind of like, all right, you've got your master's, so now you're $40,000 in debt still. I only got my bachelor's and I'm done. I'm out of, I'm, there's no more student debt for me. But it's one of those things that's like, it sucks because that's, she should be making more than really than I should. And yeah, but we just, you know, 
we, we're stable, so we just deal with it. It's yeah. Just, it when I think is. this article even talked about like teaching, as yeah. far as like you know, it used to be these institutions would pay these teachers right. to come get more education, but now they don't. So yeah. now it's like you're paying more for an education for less tenureships and all this situation, and you're in trouble. Yeah, and that's why you get such an inconsistency in teachers because teachers will hire anyone. States that are low in, short on teachers, they'll hire anyone. Like Nevada, you used to call up and you say, hey, I've got my teaching degree. Come on down. When can you start? Yeah. They'll take anybody. It doesn't matter your quality. You could be a terrible teacher. So, like, that's that's really tough, and that's just, you know. And like I said in one of the previous stories, too, like people complain that millennials whine and are entitled, but we actually have fewer systemic supports, like you're saying, with teachers back in the day. And like we have to optimize and we have to cut corners and, you know, shave, shave every penny that we can. And so like to me, like people celebrate Uber and Airbnb. But when you step back and think about it, that's actually a super weird thing that people are like, look, I just got, I got to make some money on the side here. My car just sits there. Why don't I utilize that to make money? I, I'm, I'm, I'm all for optimization. Like, let's make everything that much more efficient. But if you, if you see that and you don't acknowledge that, that, that we have fewer like, sort of systemic economic supports, and then when we complain about it and you don't do the arithmetic on that equation, then you are failing to acknowledge like, the reality that people are facing. Well, yeah, and I think it's not an entitlement i think it's you know like we talked about privilege i think it's yeah you have to like face what this reality is mm. and we just happen to be the people that are most at the perfect age to live in this reality and to experience this reality like we didn't choose this reality we were just born into it and now we are living with it and we're trying to find the best possible way to be efficient in it like yep. you know i'm going to my vacation is a main and i need to rent a car and there's places where people will just rent out their personal cars for you to use. Yeah. It's like, that's crazy that that's, you know, a lot of those people, there's this one guy, like every car he chose, it was his car. Oh he owned God. a car. So I'm like, this guy is doing this as like, you know, a side hustle quotations yep. on that because he can't make enough in a career that he feels the need that he might enjoy it. Who knows? But he has this idea that I can do, make more money on the side, you know, renting out cars. And I'm glad, I'm glad that happens because his cars are just sitting there. It would be stupid for you to expect, you know, hey, Ford, like take all these valuable resources and make me a car so I can go to Maine and start driving. It's like, no, there's a car that's just sitting there and it should be used so you can use it. The optimization is great. The reason we got to this point where before we ignore the optimization to fail that, to fail to understand that is to miss the point. That's a good point. And then like a little bit on, you know, the article mentioned that living in poverty, that talking about like how does debt impact uh, burnout is akin to losing 13 IQ points. Like that was like, that was the one fact from this article. I was like, and I did fact check it. So it is fact factually uh, up there. But I was like, that's, that's insane. Like I get it because, you know, you're in areas where you probably don't have the best teachers because you're getting whatever mm -hmm. teachers want to come to North Chicago or, sure. you know, a rougher area like that. Mm -hmm. Sorry to throw out Chicago there. But, <laughs> uh, but you're getting these situations where, you know, when you don't have a lot of money, you're in a lot of debt. Obviously, you're living more towards that poverty line. You're a lot closer if you're in a ton of debt and you're not getting, you know, the financial or you're not getting the educational benefits as someone who's not in debt. You know, you're... Mm -hmm probably not eating as well so you're not have as much energy to study so it's like yeah that makes sense of course you're not going to be smarter if you're living in poverty poverty is a black hole there's a lot of academic literature that talks about how expensive it is to be poor 
And so like, you know, if you're poor, you're probably living in denser areas. And so then the city puts in a policy where, you know, if you're living in an apartment, the, the street can't support everyone parking on that street. So they put in a policy that says if you park here overnight, your car is going to get towed. Well, you're, you're already poor. You probably can't afford to pay for like the apartment's garage if it has, if it, it has one. And so, you know, you have to find parking. Sometimes you can't. So like, I'm going to risk it. You know, it's, we don't, it's not the best behavior to risk it, but you know, sometimes you have to, now your car's towed. Now you got to find $400 to get your car out. You already can't afford that. You're already thinking about, can I afford groceries? So now you have to decide, do I get the car out or do I eat? And let's say you decide to eat. Well, now you can't get to work. It begins to stack up on each other. And there's a lot of literature that talks about how expensive it is to be poor. Like you said, with food, like let's say you decided not to eat, or let's say you decided to buy chips and pop because it's cheaper than the produce aisle. And now there's not an acute damage. You're not feeling it the next day. But down the line, when you have to pay for medical bills, you can't afford that either. And so to be poor is extremely expensive. My favorite is, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, like the boot theory on why, you know, it's tough to be poor. It's like, you know, a rich person can buy a hundred pair or a hundred dollar pair of boots that's going to last them their lifetime, where a poor person can only buy maybe a $10 boot that's going to be out of commission in like three months. And they have to keep buying this and buying this and buying this. And over the lifetime, they're spending like, I don't know the exact percentage, but they're spending a lot more than just if they would buy that $100 boot. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there's like companies that are built on that concept. Of, like, I'm not going to drop any names, but there's companies out there that'll take money from your paychecks to buy stuff. So say you want to go out and buy this new TV. It's $1,000 at a Best Buy or an Amazon, but you can't afford that. But you can afford 20 bucks a paycheck or whatever. So they'll take that and they'll charge up the interest. At the end of the day, you spend... $2,000 on this TV. Same concept, right? But like, you got to have it because you got to watch a Super Bowl. You got to have this really nice TV or you got to have the new Xboxes. You got to play the new Call of Duty, but you can't afford it. So then you're just going to find it, quote unquote, finance it with your own money over the course of twice as long. And then mm-hmm. you're, you know, but well, yeah. I can go out and buy the new Xbox because I've got the money. Well, yeah, it's the same with like student loans. Yeah. Like I can't pay a university $40,000 out of pocket. Right. So I have to take a loan and I end up paying 50, 60, 70 however long it may take. Or you can just go rob a bank exactly. to go buy a ring <laughs> yeah. for your wedding that you yeah. can't afford. Uh, to continue on this article, for many millennials, a social media presence, whether that be LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, has become an integral part of obtaining and maintaining a job of creating a brand. You know, a lot of companies want you to create a brand on social media. And branding is a fitting word because it underlines what millennials self becomes online, a product, and a product that should always be available even outside of the traditional nine to five boundaries. Because the only way to distinguish yourself and be one of the few to win the system, as we talked about before, is to show those who decide your professional fate that you're always available to work. But instead of the steadfastness making millennials more valuable because of that, has made them more exploitable. It has caused lower pay, worse benefits, less job security, and instead a lot of people end up getting a second job. And then you're working two part-time jobs, you're not getting full benefits. Uh, Burnout was first recognized as a psychological diagnosis in 1974 by psychologist Herbert Friedenberg to cause a physical or mental collapse caused by overworkers' stress. But where exhaustion means going to the point in which you can't go any further, burnout means reaching the point and continuing to push yourself to keep going 
Whether for days or weeks or years, millennials are not lazy, entitled, or whiny. They are finding ways to save time so they can work more. They want fair compensation and benefits so they don't have to work until the day they die. We're seeing Social Security pretty (laughs) much not going to exist for us, possibly. Uh, And the extent of millennial labor is often ignored or degraded because it is not always visible. What the American dream has defined as labor is an outdated model that serves no purpose in modern society. Just because it is not seen doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Like that's something that's super huge to me is a lot of my work is done through phone calls and emails and working on myself and like research. Like I spent, you know, a good two hours researching for this episode. You guys don't see that. Hopefully it comes out in the final product, Mm -hmm. but that's a lot of exhausting work to do. Uh, So I want to ask you guys this question, and this is kind of the crux of the whole story here. Is burnout culture specific to millennials or has it always existed? I think it's always existed. I think it's like like my mom when we talk about cancer, she like she always criticizes the food that we eat these days. She's like, "Well, you know, like 200 years ago, they didn't even have cancer." I'm like, "Mom, they just they just didn't know what cancer was. It still existed." So I think it's the same for burnout. Burnout's always been a thing. Well, also when you think about like your grandparents or I don't know, maybe specific to me, but I think they internalize the burnout and they're like, you know, this is again, they didn't have the privileges to stand up to industry and things like that. And so they sort of internalized it. They push forward. And I'm great. I'm grateful that they did that. But you think about the sort of lack of emotional development or things like that, that maybe your grandpa has or something like that. Like um, people have some people have like really funny, great grandpas or dads. Like I see some dads that you know, their life was work 10 hours at a factory, come home, put on my slippers, have a beer, read the newspaper, go to sleep. They didn't have an opportunity to develop other parts of their life. And that shows now. And I don't think it's irresponsible to for us to be like, I don't I don't want to live that life. And that yeah, that's a good point. Like a lot of what we define our behavior on is our parents mm-hmm. and how they lived and how they taught us and how they brought us up. And yeah, you don't want to live, you know, if you saw your parents in that situation where they're overworked and, you know, there's some people out there working multiple jobs to support a family. And it's like, I mean, sometimes you have to do that because you have to, you know, support your kids and you don't want to be a bad mom or a bad dad. But at the end of the day, you know, I don't want that for my kids. And I think burnout too, like on a macro and micro level, I know I do my best work like the first six hours at work. The last two hours, just like, oh, I got to do this thing, but I am exhausted right now. And so it's always a battle of, do I take a break and come back to it? Maybe I'll have more energy, but I do my best work the first six hours. If eight hours wasn't this like stupid arbitrary number that we picked that we have to work on a daily basis, then I don't think we would do it. We would go to work, get our work done. Uh, I mean, I think people need to be responsible. I have bigger projects where I know I have to put in work, a little bit of work every day for over the next two weeks. And so like, I think that way, like the eight hours kind of helps me. Like I have to, I have to do something while I'm here. So sometimes I'll pick at little projects and stuff like that, but you get burnt out in the day too. Andy, what are your thoughts on like the 10 hour workday? Yeah. So I'm, I was in a system. You lived it. I did. I lived <laughs> do you it. do like the 10 hour four days a week? No. Or no. no. So like Just if you factored hours. in like my commute to work, I Got was it. doing yeah 10, to, like that, cause I considered my drive to work because it's 
just it's more stressful or whatever. Um, so yeah, there's some days I'd be a quote unquote 12 hour workday. Uh, in the new my new my new job my new position I work f- maybe four to six hours a day. Do yeah. you feel like you're you feel like a lot more efficient? You said you like yeah, the job better. It's, it's more or less because like my company is trusting me to do my job. My boss isn't down my throat. Like why aren't you available right? Now? Why can't I see what you're doing? Because you're in Florida and I'm in Minnesota. Like you're not gonna see what I'm doing all day long. But it doesn't matter. Like he'll call me like, hey, what are you doing? I'm taking my dog for a walk. All right, cool. Hit me up when you get back. It's like I have that flexibility and that trust to do. To be an adult and to get my job and like I've always preached like just let me disappoint you let me put you let me let me screw up before you hold me like I'm, I've already screwed up so yeah I think the 10 8 I think all those work hours those days are uh, gone they should be gone yeah. and they will be gone unless you're working at a retail or, uh, or factory. A fast food or yeah. factory something that you have to be there for Where eight hours like store hours yeah yeah store hours right that's that's in a different case, but when you get to like the you know quote unquote like the adult life, the up echelon, yeah, like <laughs> like I talked about it earlier, like there's gonna be automation, right? Like you don't you don't need a factory if you have a robot that can do it all. And even like in our lives, we can have more automation, and you don't have to do that. Like the the forty hour work week, I think is is, is baloney. And mm-hmm. <laughs> see, I, I centered myself there. I said baloney. Baloney. Yeah, no. that's, that's, I'm not a millennial, guys. Well, I'm actually well, fifty seven years old. Water. I believe what you said about let me disappoint you. Yeah. That's some fucking good advice. Yeah, for no, sure. Like, <laughs> yeah, it just that's I think a, your boss should trust you. Yep. And and I had in my old role, I had that flexibility, I had that freedom where my boss trusted me. And then we brought in somebody else and it's like, "No, you, you need to tell me when you're going to be at work, when you're going to leave. You need to punch out for lunch, you need to do this." It's like, "Why? I've done this for how long and I don't need your approval." And uh It should be performance based. Yeah, exactly. If you get your work done, yep. then leave me alone because I found a way to maximize exactly. my performance. So let me do it that way. And if I if I mess up somehow, let me know. Again, when I t- when we talked about pet peeves, like if I mess up somehow and I'm the guy that deflects all of you have to live in a factual reality. But if yeah. if I mess up and I'm just deflecting all the facts, again, that's why I leave pissed off because I'm just like you're not letting it sink in. Well, yeah, if you need to bring in a say manager who's a micromanaging manager, yeah. your culture at that workplace is not right. Yeah, it's not the, the worst. people. It's, it's the because worst. you're creating a bad culture where people don't want to work. Yep. They don't feel you know they're you working eight hour work days, but they only need six. Mm-hmm. So they're doing for two hours. Yep. They're just dilling around on the internet. Yep. And then you see me on Instagram. You're like, why are you on Instagram? Like, yeah, because hour seven and a half. Exactly. There, there's some books out there. I, I'm I'm drawing a blank on the title right now, but you can look it up. It's basically about that eight hour workday is just it's bullshit and it's going away. But if you go to your boss and say, hey, I've I'm done with work for four hours. Okay, well let me find something to do or just keep it quiet. Don't tell because I don't need anybody to know that you're done in four hours because then it looks like they don't need me. Well, yeah, and then I feel like yeah. in the society we're in, like if you can do your job in four hours. I'm only going to pay you for four hours. Exactly. And I expect you to have that high profile yeah. of work in four hours. Right. Uh, to close out the story, the problem of, uh, this is how the article closes out, the problem with all-consuming burnout is that there is no solution to it. You can't optimize it to make it end faster. You can't see it coming like a cold and start taking the burnout prevention version of Airborne. The best way to treat it is to acknowledge it for what it is, not a passing ailment, but a chronic disease, and to understand its roots and its parameters. To describe millennial burnout accurately is to acknowledge the multiplicity of our lived reality, that we're not just high school graduates or parents or knowledgeable workers, but all of the above. We're deeply in debt, working more hours and more jobs for less pay and less security struggling to achieve the same standards as living as our parents, operating in psychological and physical precariousness, all while being told if we just work harder, if we just work a little harder, we'll begin to thrive. 
since reading this article, did you guys have any change on how you like saw burnout or how you perceive burnout to be? No, I think, you know, I, I acknowledge burnout is a thing. I think we need to be aware of it. I think we can do a lot more to prevent it in, on an individual level and on a systemic level. There's a lot of things that we can do. And again, like I said, everyone's felt it. Everyone knows what that is. It's just disingenuous and disappointing when people are like, no, the eight hour, like get on that grind, like get that second job because you know you're going to burn out. I've always had the same view of like, this is not, my job is not my life. Mm -hmm. When I leave, I leave and I'm done. I appreciate it. But I think if you're burning yourself out, you're probably doing it wrong. My yeah, job is not point. my life. It's not your identity. Right. That's a great point because I've I've heard more and more in some cultures when we meet someone like like if we run out of questions like in Minnesota if you talk about the weather and then you run out of questions it's like what do you do for a living in some cultures that's offensive. Really? Yeah, interesting. And I think I think it's kind of silly that we don't talk about how much money like I'm not going to tell you how much money I make but like I don't care if you want to know. And at, at the end of the day like I'm not going to define you if you make $10,000 a year, you make 10 million. I, that to me doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um so don't do that. That. like just be a good person focus yeah. on your mental health yeah and, and speaking uh, like what you said and like you're not defined by your work like when I started doing freelance I was like well these things are so interconnected like my life and my personal life and that's where I got into like that burnout stage because I was like so connected with those two things yeah. like I didn't take the time to separate them right yeah. and I think that's super important even if you're in freelance even if say a youtuber where your whole life is on display and like kind of that situation you still need to figure out a way to separate professional and personal life or you're Definitely. just going to be screwed yeah. yeah, boundaries. It's very important to have that, and that's like I made it very abundantly clear with my new my new company. I'm like, look, and I shut down. I shut down because my family's home, and I got to be with my family. It's six o'clock at night. I don't need to. Nothing I get done now is going to impact all tomorrow. So I'll do it tomorrow morning. First yeah. thing, it's something. If I it's something I can do tomorrow, yep. it doesn't need to be done. That's, all, that's always been my stance. It's like, Atta boy. I can wait. Put your foot down. It can wait till tomorrow. Put your foot down. All right. Finally, I would like to hear your guys' thoughts on this quote by social psychologist Devin Price about laziness and why it doesn't exist. Uh, he says, if a person behavior doesn't make sense to you, it is because you are missing a part of their context. Again, I think there's truth to it. To say laziness doesn't exist is a little overreach for me. I think laziness exists. I've, se I've seen it. <laughs> um, I've been it. Yeah, I think we've all yeah, been lazy. For sure. I was going to say, yeah. I am, my spirit animal is a sloth, so I get it. And But there are some times where, like, you know, like, like I said, after a full week of work, I just need to dedicate six hours to, like, sit down, watch a movie, eat a Big Mac. Like, that is how I recharge my battery. But there are times where I, like, you know, I feel good and I could do A or B. A is less fun, so I'm not going to do it. Like, that to me feels lazy. Yeah, no, I mean, lazy is, it's, it depends on how you want to take it. Like, you know, I got back from a 10-day work trip and I got home and I was like, tell my wife, like, I got to get this stuff done. She's like, why just relax? I'm like, I just, I have to do this stuff. Otherwise, I'm, I know I'm going to crash and then I'm just gonna, not going to be able to get back up. So let me just get my laundry done. Let me get the dishes done. Take the dog for a walk. Let me get all these things checked off and then I'm going to unplug. But yep. um, yeah, so it's all just a... Yeah, I feel as far as like saying laziness doesn't exist is just like saying racism doesn't exist. Right, it's like, right. It's like if you don't see it, yeah, or if you're not a lazy person, I mean, yeah, it doesn't exist to you, but it does exist in the world, in reality that we're living in. Yeah. And it, you need to address it. And it's okay to be lazy. It's okay, yeah. like, if you want to do, you know, the way you do it when you get back, you want to yeah. do stuff and then be lazy, that's fine. Or if you want to be lazy and do something tomorrow, that's totally fine. It's yeah. like, you know, take care of yourself. Right. Like, at the end of the day, take care of yourself, work at the end of the day, it does not matter. Yep. Yeah, it pays the bills, but you can get another job if that work doesn't work out. You know, take care of yourself. Find ways that, you know, you're happy. 
And I think we need to distinguish the boundaries between lazy and recovery. When you recover, you can look lazy, but you actually, this is the best thing that you could do for yourself and the people around you. So there needs to be a, there needs to be a boundary around that. And also the application of lazy. When you say like someone is lazy, like when you see a panhandler on the corner, that person lived a lazy life. Probably not actually. And so like the application of lazy is usually pretty bad. Yeah, when we wrapped filming on our movie, I didn't do anything for two weeks. Yeah, good. Like, oh, that's like, like from outside perspective, you're like, Adam's being pretty lazy. No, I just spent eight months shooting something and I'm taking two weeks off. Mm-hmm. Like, I do get like, sometimes you don't see the other person's context, so it looks laziness to you. Mm-hmm. Like, I do agree there's some truth to that, but yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with your point. There's some yeah. truth to it, but it's not the truth. Yes. Yeah. Andy Min, thank you guys for taking the time to share some of your perspectives on the strangest and interesting news stories the world has to offer in a fun and meaningful discussion. Once again, listeners, if you want to check out more of the Quality Under Pressure podcast, you can do so by following QUP Podcast on Twitter or by going to Quality Under Pressure on Facebook and Instagram. And if you stay around until the end of the episode of this episode, you can enjoy a little taste of just how delicious your guys' podcast is to listen to. I did a mm. podcast with you guys a few months ago. Yeah. But yeah, really enjoyed that. Now, being in the podcast for you guys, by the time we're recording this you just did 46 episodes you'll probably be around 50 maybe when this comes out what advice do you guys want to give to aspiring podcasters i mean do something but don't take yourself too seriously and then if it doesn't feel right don't force it because there's a i saw a stat out there too that said it was like like 70 percent or something of podcasts have three or fewer episodes because people do it and they think it's going to be they think there's going to be no preparation i'm going to walk in i'm going to do it i'm going to produce great content and then when they realize like, oh, actually it took some work and no one's listening, they're like, I don't want to do this anymore. And so like, again, if, if it doesn't feel right, don't force it. Yeah. It's, I've I always felt like, you know, if you like doing it, just keep doing it. Like yeah. if you become rich and famous, you become mm-hmm. rich and famous. If you don't, you still did something you love. Yeah. And you're most likely not going to become rich and famous yeah. doing There's a, a doing very a small percentage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the fact that I even have an audience was so lucky that I just happened into it. Obviously, my audience is awesome. Right. But it's just like, it's one of those things where I think Bo Burnham said it on Conan or something. It's like, famous people just got really lucky yeah. at the right time, yes. at the right place. There's a lot of freaking talented people. There's a lot of talented podcasts in the world, you know? Do it because you love it, not because you want to be rich and famous. That's what winning is missing in his story (laughs) because everyone puts in hard work. Sometimes you just need a little luck. Uh, Anyways, thank you to all my listeners for listening to another episode of Water Cooler Talk, the only such podcast on the internet hosted by myself and guest hosted today by two of the three members of the Quality Under Pressure podcast, Min and Andy. Uh, Dean, we'll we'll get him next time. He is in the cartoon photo, though. I'll have to show it to you guys later. But he is in it, so you will be in it, uh, where we take the strangest and most interesting real-life news stories from around the world and just try to have a good old conversation about some of the ideas discussed in those bizarre news stories. Once again, if you'd like to reach out to the show with a strange local news story or... If you just want to share some of your own comments, you can do so at watercoolertalkpod at gmail.com. Guys, there's tradition around here for the guests to close out the show. Oh, the wow. floor is yours. Go ahead, man. Listen. Me? Yeah, listen to the quality. Do you usually do that anyways? Yeah, but it's not. I'm not going to hijack his show. You want me to do the music? Yeah, do the music. <laughs> hey, Adam, thanks for having us on. We really appreciate it. Hope we can come back again sometime, and we'll see you on our show next time. Awesome, guys. Peace. Bye. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real. 
Here we are, once again, and we're torn in pieces, can't deny, can't pretend, just thought you were the one, Corrections Corner, just thought you were the one, Correction Corner. Uh, thank you, that was my rendition of Behind These Hazel Eyes in A-sharp, maybe D-flat, I, I don't know, I'm not Charlie Puth. But my Grammy-awarded singing career aside, let's move on to more important things this episode's corrections. To story number one, during our first story with Heath Edward Bumpus, I had mentioned how weddings on average cost around $30,000 and many times cost as much as a year's salary in the U.S. The average salary in the U.S. is $56,516. So if you had two average Americans with an average wedding, the cost would be about 26.5% of their yearly income, which, I mean, I guess when you look at it from that perspective, isn't too bad. Uh, still, still a nice little chunk of change there for you. And then continuing on with marriage, when discussing the idea of marriage, we talked about the need of blessing the marriage in a church setting. This is often done to make your vows before God and witnesses and have the support of the community to uphold you keeping your vows. So it's all about, you know, throwing out those vows and making sure you stick to them. That's why we have religion, huh? Also during that bank robbery story, Min had mentioned the Federal Reserve has never been robbed. It has never been robbed in person, but in February of 2016, the New York Federal Reserve was robbed by security hackers who successfully transferred $101 million from accounts belonging to Bangladesh. Bangladesh was not happy. Continuing on during that conversation, discussing what a crime a significant other would need to commit for you to walk away, the movie Gone Girl is brought up as Gone Baby. It is Gone Girl with Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike. And then finally, Andy mentioned an episode of Adam Ruins Everything. That episode is titled Adam Ruins a Murder. On to our second news story to correct a misspeak by myself. John Winning's grandfather started the company 113 years ago, not 13 years ago. And then finally, on to story number three. In the story, I had mentioned how debt can contribute to burnout and brought up student loan debt. The average student loan debt as of 2016 is $37,172, but with a common 10-year repayment plan, can end up costing the borrower $45,840. And then also during that story, Andy mentioned his wife being a teacher and states like Nevada struggling to get good teachers. Fun fact, Arizona is the easiest state to become a teacher where you can teach with little to no experience or formal training. So... There you go, Arizona. And then the final correction of this episode. While discussing the impact of being poor on burnout and intelligence, Min brought up the plethora of literature relating to how expensive being poor can be. Uh, a good opinion article I've read on the matter is by Charles Blow of the New York Times. Uh, if you're looking for a good start, Charles Blow of the New York Times can help you out there. Once again... Welcome back. Looking forward to the new Heights water cooler talk we'll reach in 2020, but also excited for you guys to listen to some amazing guests to close out 2019. But as always, hope you were able to enjoy this wonderful conversation with Min and Andy from Quality Under Pressure Podcast. Once again, follow their show by going to at QUP Podcast on Twitter or Quality Under Pressure on Facebook or Instagram. Like I said at the beginning of the show, you can listen to a bit of their show following this segment. But anyways, that's your corrections. That's your episode. So get out of here. This is the story of a podcast that takes weird news from across the world. And while many of these stories may seem fake, they're absolutely not because they're real.
Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I think that it's there's just been sort of a ethical battle within journalism since it started. You know, it's just like, well, is journalism this thing where it's completely objective and you leave it to the audience to decide? Or does journalism have a say in like, like morality, like there are op-ed pieces and things like that. So we try to draw the line and make it obvious to the audience. But, you know, sometimes even like when you were saying like, yeah, you know, personally, yeah, there's a there's big value in keeping it objective. But I also get super annoyed when uh, there there aren't two sides to a conversation. But for the sake of being objective, like you're like, OK, like we'll give the the climate change denier 10 minutes and then the the climate change scientist 10 minutes is just like that's it's, it's not the same but for the sake of objectivity like that's how we're going to structure it so i have that that same ethical battle that journalism has had over the years like how do you how do you do that because i can see it both ways yeah, and it's just it's just one of those questions where like yeah, like I said, I'm not the person to ask. Yeah, yeah. Like I have no idea. There's way there's people that are a lot smarter than me, are a lot more connected into what works and what doesn't that may have the answers, but also it could be a no, one of those things where no one has the answers. It's just everyone needs to get better. Like media needs to get better, the consumer needs to get better. Education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough too because you might have, you know, an article that you wrote that is really well written it it's you know it portrays both sides of whatever argument you're making but to get people to want to read it what do you have to do you have to you know sensationalize the headline a little bit right and then there's people that'll just see the headline and just say oh well that's what it is and just not even bother to read the article so yeah